Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Thursday, and I'm going to try to do now the uh, weekly uh, tefillah podcast, for which, as always, you can thank Mishpachat Stefanski. Um, I want to detour a little bit from what we've been doing lately to answer a good question, a very nice uh, question that was sent to me the other day by somebody in YU, and um, I take it very seriously. And I actually spoke about it in the past, but there's always a lot to speak about on this particular subject. And it goes to the very heart of prayer, as I've been speaking about lately, if you think about it in a reasonable fashion, at least to me. All I can ever tell you is what seems to me, as, as I always say. Basically, the guy wrote me as follows. Listen closely. I've been taking rebel courses on medieval philosophy, including a lot of Rambam, Ralbach, Kreskus, etc. If they can read Kreskus, more power to you. It's very hard. And the conception of God that appeals to me, he writes, is a lot. The conception of God that appeals to me a lot is the Maimonidean idea of a completely removed, unchanging Ilarishonu. And that's the idea that God can't change and so forth. It's such a philosophically elegant conception and removes many questions, and some, it just makes most sense to me. That being said, whenever I daven, I run into the problem that any time I feel any sort of emotion, I can't help but feel I'm engaging in some form of idolatry and I'm humanizing God, humanizing in, in quotes. Uh, there isn't really a philosophical difference between constructing an idol in the real world and constructing a conception of God in my mind, because anything I conceive will necessarily be something physical and contained, completely not what God actually is. How do I navigate this tension between wanting to experience emotions while davening, while intellectually pinching myself, that I might be engaging in some form of intellectual idolatry? That is very well put. It goes to the heart of it. And I've been animadverting about that from time to time. No question he's onto this. The short answer is, learn to live with the tension. I, I'm not being funny at all, because nobody's got the whole emiss. Just because the Rambam says it, and I'm a fan of the Rambam also, but that doesn't mean he's got the whole business. The reason I say it is because then you would have God as a philosophical concept, and remember, God even created philosophical concepts, so he can't be there that either. But having said that, I hear what's coming from. Now, there's no question, um, so let me start off by saying like this. If the, the whole Messias of the Torah, and this is the weak point of the Rambam in general, the whole Messias of the Torah is a non-philosophical angle, even though the Rambam and the others always try to twist it and put it in a philosophical angle, and I like it too. As you can tell, a lot of the things I say, I sort of, you know, tend towards that, but for a reason, okay? And the reason is sort of negative. Um, I have in front of me a uh, book called Mernavuchim, Torah, which is a kitzer or something like that. A guy 
put together years ago, Musarov Cook put it out. Maybe you've seen it around. Skinny book. And he just quotes or paraphrases, to be perfectly honest. Because, uh, I don't know which uh, um, translation he's doing. There are many translations in Mernavuchim. As you know, it's originally written in Arabic. And um, sometimes he paraphrases, but listen closely. And he's going on the Pusik. I just opened up, because I remember and I highlighted this years ago. And this is going to confirm uh, this line of thinking that the Wayu guy just told me. I don't want to say his name, because he didn't give me permission. Um, and and it, it's, it's up, we're talking about Moshe Rabbeinu when he's up there for 40 days and 40 nights. Lechem lo achal lo shasa. Right? And Moshe, you know, for 40 days and 40 nights he doesn't eat. Uh, believe me, the Moshe story is not as hard as the Elio Anovi story. So Elio Anovi travels for 40 days and 40 nights without eating, and he eats in a dream. So go figure that out. But let's stick, you know, dial the let's stick with the Moshe Rabbeinu story. So the Rambam commenting on this being 40 days and 40 nights, <coughs> basically is saying that Moshe Rabbeinu had dvekas. Let me read you the, how, he, how this uh, guy paraphrases Maimonides. Ha'adam ha'shaleib, note to livchon lezboni b'maisei habori. An intelligent person will be bochein and misbonein b'maisei habori. He'll look at the world that was created in an intelligent and uh, searching fashion. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, all you can know about God is the world he created. Get it? You can only deduce from that. Uh, there's no other basis to deduce things. The other Masholim will stop being involved in what, to use Gashmias as a, as a cliche. He'll devote himself, all his intellect, to Havonas Maisia Bori Lavadoso. Which is an interesting phraseology. Havonas Masia Bore, to study from a firm angle, Masia Bore, the world. The creations of God, uh, all the sciences, including, may I say, the liberal sciences, not only the hard sciences, <coughs> social sciences. So, you know, a scientist will look at the Bria and say, oh, look at all the system in it, you know, and it all works out mathematically. No question about that. Um, same thing with a physicist, etc. A historian, it's not coming from the hard sciences angle. But the historian looks back on Masaya Bore, the way God ran the world, and you see what people got right and what people got wrong. You're supposed to learn the lessons from that. Right? Or let me put it this way a from intelligent person will look at it that way. Yeshko Ela Hamas Alan Ladarga Kazu shall parshias precious be called in Yanayolam Habo. Some people are able to divest themselves from all Gashmias in such a way. Shamagin Ladargas Nabuab. That's a Novi, according to him. A Novi is somebody who, for, at least for pieces of time, you know, temporarily can shed all of Olam Hazar. I don't know what it means because I'm not a prophet. And that's what it says by Hisham Mashem. So it says about Moshe that he was up there for 40 days and 40 nights. Kamayim Rechazal, Shol Venenim Adabar Badibar Mufnelo. But my Mitzah, Moshe Yigil Madrega HaGvob B'Yosar Shol Dvekis Mashem. So on that occasion, not all of his life, not all of his life, but when Moshe was up there on the mountain, Mount Sinai, he reached his highest madrig of dvekas. The dvekas here being understood as mental. Mental understood as concentrating on God to the exclusion of everything else. And when he was up there, communicating with God face to face, 
His again, I'm just going to use cliches because I'm too tired to figure out how to say this in in articulate, correct English. Um, his his ruchnius quotient increased so much that the gashmius quotient in him like dropped to zero. Right? He didn't he didn't need to eat. He didn't need to sleep, and so forth and so on. Now, listen. Da, the Ram goes on to say, and everything I'm talking about is really, for an intelligent person, is to be with you every time you do Shemun Esri. Right? Because Shemun Esri, among other things, is at the end of the day, a moment, at least according to Maimonides, and he's a minimalist, not a maximalist. Shemun Esri is a moment of Dvekas. Okay? Or it's supposed to be. I don't say it is, but it's supposed to be. This project of concentrating on thinking about God to the exclusion of anything else, and that requires experience in meditation, using the mental brain and all that, the mental muscles, as we say, not being flabby, as we all are. You switch from thought to thought, you know, machshava to machshava. It's like changing the channel all the time. That is the peak human experience in the world. So God created man so that man could develop himself or herself into a creature that was able to think about God to the exclusion of anything else. It's a cliche I'm saying, but it's that's a tall order to the exclusion of anything else. Right? That's real Abodaz Hashem. Tefillah is called Abodaz Hashem. As a matter of fact, there is no mitzvah called Thou shalt pray to the Lord thy God. As we discussed, there is a mitzvah that you should serve the Lord thy God and Avodazut Tefillah. At least that's the Rambam Shita, as opposed to Ramban, as we've said over and over again in this series. Uh, just go and review if you've forgotten. Um, the Rambam at the beginning of Hilchus Tefillah. Now, Ulam, now here comes the part that this student um, remarks remind me of. Ulam, aim l'haskil b'avodazu, don't get involved in the project of thinking about God and trying to exclude everything else from thought. El l'achar until you know what God is. Shigid sabori, you know the Creator. If you don't do your machshava work first, before you daven, if you don't work on the mitzvah, if you don't understand what God is to the degree that you can, before you take the Seishim and Esrei, then it's not going to... You just have to come up with some imagined picture of God or concept of God or because you heard it from someone else, that's very interesting. You and I live in a world in which everything we believe we heard from someone else. Who out there, in life in general, and certainly on your own, who out there forms their own conception of God and heaven and hell and this and that? It's what we read in books and what we're taught by rabbis, taught in school. So our, our ideas are, are basically, they've got us as a race, um, dumbed down, and uh, you go through school, 
Rarely is there a teacher, Hebrew or English, that makes you think. It's rather, you know, just know all this for a test. And so basically what the person is doing is I'm getting received wisdom. And I'm, you know, whether I understand it or not. You understand? Whether I understand it or not. This is the heart of the problem with davening. Because people don't really understand, haven't given any thought to it on their own. With the exception of some, you know. But I haven't given a thought on their own. So, Misha Choshe, Vlavris Hashem, Lelo Yidioso, El Alpi Demyono, Al Mahusa Barisbrach, just by imagining what God is made of, or the concept, O Alpi Amunus Vedeus Shisham Machirim, or what he was told by others, Lo Rak Sheino Obedis Hashem, El Shu Obed Dover Sheino Kayam. It's not only that he's not doing Avodas Hashem, he's actually doing Avodas Zero. He's serving something that doesn't exist. So if, for example, a person imagines that God is, uh, uh, as the Bible describes in the book of Daniel, a man with a long white beard, uh, Ati Gilman, you know, uh, long white beard sitting on a throne. Um, if you pray to that, you're praying to Dabrashen Kayom, because that God does not exist. That image was created by God for Daniel in a prophecy, but that's not God. So if you're, you know, it's like praying to, you know, a false image. You can't do Avodah Hashem, such as davening. I repeat, uh, uh, the, the, the scriptural basis for davening is, uh, you know, that you, uh, you know, the word says you should be Ovid Hashem. To the Rambam, this is a Maimonidean approach. This is what they taught in Mayu, obviously. Uh, I mean, nothing wrong with that. You can't serve God if you don't know what He is. The only way you can know what He is, is, first of all, using your Seichel, your rational faculty. And you have to be misbonin, you have to give a great deal of thought and penetrating thought in the Maasei Hashem, which can either mean nature or history. Or theology. Right? Uh, philosophical arguments which prove the existence of one God and so forth and so forth. So the Rambam, of course, lived a long time ago. We don't think like this at all today. The Rambam lived in a world in which you could prove something um, philosophically or through argument. And once you prove through argument, it was taken as an MS. Today, the last couple hundred years, uh, we understand MS and things like that as being a, a scientific subject to empirical verification. So you got to be able to de- demonstrate it. And if you can't demonstrate it, then shut up. And don't tell me you have a good argument because if you and I have an argument, let's say over religion or anything, and let's say you beat me, it only shows that I wasn't a good arguer. doesn't prove the truth of your point of view. I'll get my big brother to come tomorrow and he'll out-argue you. And then I'll have the truth on my side. Until he gets his uncle, and that argues my brother, and then the truth will go back to the other side. You see, that's ridiculous. So what that means is, there can't be a real standard of truth. In the Rambam's time, it was a standard of truth. Mechenu Omer. Anyway, he goes on this at a fair amount of length. The Rambam does. Now, this would seem to support the tie-up. How is a guy supposed to, or anybody, a girl, a guy, supposed to daven when? Right off the bat, you know, um, the words make no sense. At the dumb level, the superficial level, how can you ask God to change 
when God is perfect and therefore not subject to change. That's the superficial problem. It's an old problem. You say, I'm sick now, now make me better. So what you're, what you're really doing is you're approaching God the way you would approach a human being. If I would approach a human being, and let's say I had a king who issued a bad decree, you can get to them but through emotions. That's the story of Queen Esther Achishverosh. If you're not to tickle their fancy or appeal to their mercy or something like that, you can get them to change their mind. Right? Now, how, with your bonus Shalom, it doesn't work that way. God is, by definition, not subject to change. Otherwise, God wouldn't be Shalem. That's how the argument goes. And Shalemus means you already have everything. And change is a function of the fact that you're admitting into the, the, the reality of the other side something new that didn't exist before. And the reaction to that is what we call change. As I've said many times, I think I said it here, but I've said it in other classes. Suppose I like you or I dislike you. I like you or I dislike you. Some shots like this. Um, I met you yesterday for the first... I'm just making this up. I met you yesterday for the first time, or 20 years ago, let's say yesterday. And uh, I never knew you before. Um, I lived in Baltimore, and you came here from St. Louis. Um, let's say you're a turnoff. That's who you are. Plenty of people are turnoffs. So I result, I, I, I re, react to your turn-off-ism, your presence, your negative presence. I react negatively. It's called dislike. Get it? Shot is, before today, I never knew you. You weren't part of my Messias. Now you entered my Messias. I interacted with you. And the impression that your actions made upon me was a negative one, and that's called dislike. I could give you an opposite scenario. I'm living in Baltimore. You're from St. Louis. You come and visit me. I never met you before. Today's the first day we met. And you're a turn on, not a turn off. I respond to that with the emotion of like. Now I like you. See? You see, it wasn't there before. Now it is. I like it. All these mean is that I'm a limited creature. New things can enter my life. And they change who I am. They modify who I am. But God, which created, which created everything and, and is beyond, beyond, you can't say that about but what do you do with the fact that the old Shemin Esrei, as well as the rest of the prayers, are all about that? Look at all your sleepers and the rest of the things. They're all about either praising God or begging stuff from Him. Right? Begging stuff from Him. Uh, and to be perfectly honest, as human beings, those are the parts that kick us in the stomach more than anything else. They have more of a grip on us. Everybody knows, when it comes to Rosh Hashanah and Davening, it's a little bit boring, in the sense that you're praising, praising, praising. The stuff that really people get their kid in the kishkas is Nasana Tokov. Why? Because that's what you see. Miyachi and Miyamas gets gets tachlis. And you know, you you say, Oh, you know, give me a good year and give me health and save the lives of my family and Israel and so on and so forth. You know, that, that's what grabs you. Uh the stuff about Melachelion is nice, but you know, it's, it's poetic, you see? So the essence of prayer for most of us, right or wrong, is the request part, right? So when you daven every day, I bet you most people, let me put it this way, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you about two different people, Reuven versus Shimon. Reuven is very spiritual, Shimon is a normal guy. Reuven, the Iker part of his Shemonesri is the first three. And then he zips through the rest. <laughs> get it? Because when he says, Ata Gibor, and when he says, Ata Kadosh Kadosh, and all that, he's transported, and he's trying to think Shemayim, and so on and so forth, and, you know, Avas Hashem, and it's very admirable. 
What about the Atachonen, Rufuenu, Baruchlin? He's he zips through that. You see? Because the request, his attitude is the following. You'll give me whatever you want to give me. You know better. You understand? You give me health, it's good. If you give me sickness, it's also good. You know, you know better. Uh, now, Shimon is not. Is, is a regular guy. Shimon zips through the first three, but then he slows down when he gets to Atachonen, Ashebenu, and all the rest of it. Because now you're talking topless. <laughs> Get it? Shimon spends most of his Shimon Esri on Barcheleinu. He says, I got a business deal coming up today. I got a real estate situation. I got a bank loan. I got this, that, and the other. I got bills to pay. Barcheleinu, Shimon, Now, by the way, Reuben and Shimon are both from Jews. You see? But their level of spirituality is a different sort. You understand? It's a different sort. Now, the first guy, I'll tell you a third person. The third person, Ruben Shimon Levi. Let's talk about Levi. Levi is like a philosopher. Ruvain was just transported by the majesty, and all this stuff. Uh, the other guy is is um, skipping the Atachonets because it doesn't make any sense to him. You know, how can you try to change God? So I'd rather talk about the praise part. Who's right and who's wrong? The answer is, when you're 20, you'll think this way. When you're 30, you'll think that way. When you're 40, you'll think another way. When you have different possibilities out there, this is my idea. I can only tell you what I think. When there are different ideas out there, you can't say, who do you hold like? At different times, at different places, based on your circumstances of your life, you hold differently. The same person who says, I have philosophical problems with thinking about God in, as, as, as someone that I can appeal to, if that person's in a foxhole, he won't be an atheist. He'll skip out to Kurdish. I'll get right away, you know, Hatzelani. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And that's normal. There's nothing wrong with that. God puts you in that situation on the battlefield. Then now you switch your attention from this part of Shemineswi to another part of Shemineswi, from this part of the Dominic to that part of the Dominic. That's that's normal. Look at the Tehillim. David Melk writes like that. But sometimes he's transported like a Ruvain. Sometimes he talks like a Levi, brave Maimonidean. And sometimes he talks like a, a, a Shimon. He says, Help me out of here. You know, Hatzalani, get me out of this situation. Right? You know, very emotional. So, what I'm trying to get across is, I don't think there's actually, you know, one way. Uh, but what's, but the Rambam approach is useful and necessary. It's kind of propedeutic. In the sense that you, you have to come with this L'Chathchila. You understand? Because otherwise you'll build pictures in your mind and and, and, and then you might have a Vodizara. Not the Avodizara that um the why you guys talk about, which is the, the apprehension of the divine in some sort of materialistic or semi materialistic or limited form. But rather a different problem. This is my opinion. And the other problem is you'll make a you'll make your own Avodizara. Because many people will pray to a god that they construct. That'll be that'll be a God that fits their way of thinking. You understand? And they're not interested in a God that doesn't fit their way of thinking, even though that God may be the one to ask them hard questions on how they're conducting their lives, but they don't want to deal with that. They don't want to go there. Right? So we see sometimes real from people with strama kapot all the rest of are cheating like hell in business. You know that. But they don't think like when they're down with Shimonasri, right? And they're they're thinking of the other side. So basically, they've constructed a god which, you know, likes the fact that the guy's got a, a gartel on or something like that, you know? And what about the Chosha Mishra problems? Natural Bernal doesn't care so much. And you, you see, that's, that's real idolatry. The problem with idolatry is 
you construct a deity, which is you. You're worshiping yourself. Because nobody's going to construct, usually you're not going to construct a deity, which is critical of what you do, because you really would like that. You wouldn't do it. You would stop doing it. Or at least you'd be going around with a lot of um, of uh, charata around. People don't like to live that kind of life. You understand? Now, I think, as a historian, I do not believe that the Rambam davened the way he writes in the in the Mernabuchim. I don't believe it. I think the Rambam was a very much... I'm serious. I'm not saying it to, to be cute or rhetorical. But if you read the Geras Taimon and other things like that, and a lot of his chubas, whatever, Ram was a regular person. When he when he put on his philosopher's cap, he thought in philosophical ways just to avoid the idolatry that I just described. And I'm sure it drove him crazy. Not simply that the Hamonam out there is imagining Yeshlo Goof or something like that. But if it's Yeshlo Goof, they're constructing a God that will um, be okay and will confirm what they're doing, even though they're doing wrong things. I think the Ram when he davened, davened uh, like a chassid. Uh, because davening by definition, if you're talking to God, you have to get emotional. Uh, I was asked in this little thing I read from the Wayu guy, he says, um, anytime I feel some sort of emotion, he writes, I can't feel, but I'm helping in some form of idolatry and humanizing God. From a philosophical perspective, I hear the vart, and we all have that problem. But prayer, by definition, is not a philosophical enterprise. Do you hear what I just said? Philosophers don't know from prayer, at least not as far as I understand it. I'm not a philosophy major, it's not my area. But, you know, I don't know as much as others, but there are people who know less about it than I do. Philosophizers think about God. They don't pray to God. Philosophizers spend time you know, refining their conceptions of the ultimate. They don't talk to and have a dialogue with the ultimate. In the Torah, the, 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 we don't have any philosophers. You understand? As far as I can think, there's nobody that tells you in the Torah was a philosopher had a philosophical type experience. Instead, they talk about people having dialogues and conversations with God and emotions and things like that. The philosophers can read into that philosophical muscles. So when Moshe goes up there for 40 days and 40 nights, nobody has an idea what happened. The Rambam will say that Moshe was being taken out of his, um, what do you call it, uh, this intellect and put into the universal active intellect. You know, in other words, they'll, they'll interpret it through the lenses of philosophy, uh, but it's not, never, it never uses those words. Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov, Moshe, and Shlomo. Which one of these guys sat down, which is described at least, as sitting there and contemplating, you know, in a philosophical, logical manner? I, I don't think of any. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I can't think of any. But, but on the other hand, I see a lot of people there that emotional relationship with God. You see? Emotional problems, yes and no. The Moshe Rabbeinu that I know about was a Moshe Rabbeinu that had issues with God. Not simply is trying to understand what God is. Moshe is complaining, right? And he's not saying it's Tom as a Maimonidean philosopher that I wish to understand greater and greater Hasagas because the highest level is to understand you in a more refined way. Uh, no, Moshe is, is bothered by emotions, uh, at least according to the Jewish tradition. Why did he say, show me your face? Tzadik Varela Rosh Tovlo. It bothered Moshe. It bothered the guy. That's why Moshe was a great man. It bothered him. Why is there so much injustice in the world? And how come the wicked prosper? How come the Hamas and all these Palestinian junk are doing great? And we're taking it on the chin. These are 
questions of a Moshe Rabbeinu. You understand? Uh, and, and of the prophets of Israel. We just said Chavakuk the other day. Somebody wrote me. He's a big fan of Chavakuk. You know, I just happen to remember. It, 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 that's not the after we did, but the other one, the, it's like two chapters, three chapters. And Tori Naim Asasrov Habidil. Don't ask me why I remember this puzzle. It's crazy. It just sticks in my mind. Tori Naim Asasrov Habidil Omal Yuchal Lomo Sabid Bogdim Tachwish Kevala Russia Tzadik Mimeno. Prophet saying, why do you let all? Why do you let the wicked devour the righteous? You understand? That's not the Novi Chavakuk having a philosophical moment. That's him having a emotional moment. So where I'm going with this is, you, it, it, an intelligent person is always going to have to uh, the, the, approach the Shemun Esrei um, as as a chore. I don't mean a chore you want to get rid of, but as an avoda, meaning as a job that 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 requires, like you would do a job. Now, most of us don't have the time to do that. Once in a while, you have the time to do that. Uh, speaking very realistically, you know, um, twice a week, once, I don't know, you know, everybody's different. In real real times. Unless you have to, you know, if you hit the lottery, you'd have nothing better to do, then in a Hanami, the best thing would be, you know, to get ready for the davening. But I don't know too many people like that. Most people, you know, you have a few minutes here, a few minutes here. Uh, you know, a person pats himself on the back and says, I said the whole dominant, you know, I go to Shul three times a day, what more do you want from me? It's not true. As this letter I got points out, uh, prayer is a big tension. Uh, to use simple language, are you are you saying Shimon Esri like, like a Maimonidean philosopher? Or are you saying Shimon Esri like a chassid? I don't mean to be funny, I'm serious. A chassid, the approach is, you have the I'm talking to God. I'm talking like I would talk to, to a king. I know, again, I pinch myself. I know it's not exactly that way. And I understand the issues from a from a rigid perspective. As the white guy said with me, you know, it is philosophically problematic. It is. I myself brought it up. And I acknowledge that. And I have great admiration for somebody to put these words down on paper and send it to me. But at the end of the day, the very essence of dominating it's more like an you know it is it's a thing on the emotions, right? And I don't know about you, but in my experience, you know, when I'm not going to say tit for tat, but when you dive more emotionally, you get it seems to me this is just a subjective, you get better results. You know, I've seen that in my life. Look, I'm not a prophet or anything, but you know I'm not going to lie. I've said yeah, you know, I when you dive more emotionally. You, you you know, you have more of a real dialogue. Because Avodah Hashem, in this sense, is constructed in the long lines of dialogue. Or at least monologue. <laughs> you're supposed to say certain prayers. Uh, even before that, as the Ramah said, you're supposed to talk some way. So, the whole essence of prayer is, a person is talking to God. You cannot talk to God with an I thou, you know, in Baruch Atah. You can't talk to Atah, Baruch These are all Tzibah. I'm talking second person. I can't talk to God um, if, quote-unquote, God doesn't exist. As the Rambam would say, you know, existence isn't a word that you can apply to God because uh, he created existence and all that. If I do that, you know, I'll, I'll kill it. So if there is a mitzvah, then what it means is like this. The Rabboni Shalom, for whatever reason, 3,000 years ago and more, said, in spite of the fact that I'm beyond your Hasagas, I'm going to make myself, or I want you to do something 
that involves you relating to me as if I were not beyond your hasagas. Right? Isn't that the essence of the Torah? Even though I am beyond your hasagas, because by definition God is beyond, right? And they're psukim like that also. But I want you to do mitzvahs, and I want you also to talk to me. If I want you to do mitzvahs, that means I want. There's a rutzen. Rutzen doesn't work either, if you know how heaven is, you know, because you're dividing God into attributes. I want you to do things which necessitate you thinking about me, and shall we say in some sort of manner, which will not be philosophically correct. So, And, and that's what the Torah tells you. So in this respect, it seems to me, Torah is giving sort of an anti-philosophical sort of thing. Now, at the same time, you don't want to fall for any, you know, uh, uh, image that you happen to come up with. That's why you pinch yourself, as as he put it in the email. That's why he used the Maimonidean thing to say, wait a minute, I've worked out a very nice God who likes to hear my prayers, all the rest of it, but I realize, you know, my brain tells me that it's something I constructed. But he wants me to pray to something constructed. Because it's not possible to pray to something that's beyond Hasogos. Because some beyond Hasogos, you get dizzy just even trying to think about it. Now, maybe I'm wrong and maybe I'm lazy. As I've said it many times, it could very well be that this is the meaning of the Hasidim Hashanah who spend an hour getting ready, an hour in, and an hour to come down. Right? An hour to come down. Three hours. Uh, if I sat there and had a concentrated um, session where for about 60 minutes or, or however long I'm trying to clear my mind of all conceptions and then speak to that absence of anything I know I've never done it <laughs> right? I've never done it I, I can understand it sort of conceptually and uh, and I can understand the historical phenomena that people did it but this is why we call Hasidim Mishonim but even the Gemara was saying that by the Gemara's time they weren't doing it because it's Hasidim Harishonim, not the Hasidim at the time of the, the Gemara. That's a very, you know, difficult business. Plus, may I point out, it's nine hours a day, <laughs> right? It's nine hours a day in Shemun Asri. Then you go to sleep, you know, the day's over. The whole day consists of Dhamma Shemun basically. You can't have a life. So how do you work it all out? There's no way to work it out. That doesn't mean that you throw up your hands. But you, in my opinion, you embrace the richness of the experience. So I would say to the guy, it's absolutely correct that you have to pinch yourself against inventing a boogeyman, a, a, a great power, somebody with a lot of, uh, you know, thunderbolts and things like that. You know, there's a lot of ways of thinking about God that are like, you know, seductive. And you always have to constantly pinch yourself and saying, I'm applying, you know, uh, these categories and it may not work. But you also have to pinch yourself the other way of saying like this. The Rambam is not 100% right either. You know what I'm saying? The Rambam is not 100% either. Because that kind of God wouldn't give a Torah and say, I want you to do Shiloh HaKain. I want you to do Shatnas. That's a God. And Hashem created this image within us because there's nothing exists without being created by God. So Hashem created within us this idea, that you, this command, that you should talk to me and that means you have to come up with some idea of what I am. And by definition, any idea that any human comes up with will not be true. And even though the Rambam said it so powerfully that you're going to be worshipping something Shein Kayam, but it's not, it's not exactly true. right? It is Kayam. It's Kayam in the sense that it represents man's uh, uh, you know, uh, image. 
they constructed to try to, to, to have a, a kesher upstairs. And that's what the whole Torah is about. Otherwise, you don't need a Torah. God exists anyway, independent of the world. So it's it's a very complicated kind of business. And like I said before, I respect somebody that wrestles with the issue. But at the end of the day, in my opinion, you have to be able to deploy. And I think the Rambam himself deployed. A, um, you know, sometimes my money, sometimes Breslov. Right? Sometimes my money, sometimes Breslov. Um, for regular davening, it's probably better than wrestle. Um, but watch out being dragged around, you know, for credulity. Because that's where we need the Rama as a corrective. Because if you have credulity, then, you know, then somebody will tell you like this this is how Hashem is, and uh, this is what when you daven, it happens this way and that way, and they'll give you all kinds of stuff. And, you know, and they don't know, you know, they'll construct it in such a way, like I mentioned yesterday. Yeah, the Satmar will say, God definitely wears a shrimal. And the Misnagid will definitely say, God is just into learning and nothing else. And, uh, you know, the Sephardi will say, well, we all know that God talks about Havara Sephardi. You know, that's what people do. I don't know any Ashkenaz guy who thinks of God speaking Sephardi. I don't know any Lubavitcher who conceives of God being a Belzer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Everybody is going to invent their God, you know, to, w- w- which fits their flavor. And we know that those are not true. Right? They're not factually true. On the other hand, they are true in a sense that if it enables you, you know, to have some kind of kesher, then it's going to be what God wants you to do, even though there's levels and there's getting closer to the truth and farther from the truth, you know. So I'm using the truth over here almost like a ping pong, and I don't mean to. And uh, I'm not sure. I hope what I said was clear. It's a very complex and difficult question. It is the very heart of dominating, right? It's very hard of the notion of davening and not wanting to simply be, you know, living in a fantasy land. On the other hand, it's mandated that we fantasize. <laughs> Get in some way. It, it, that's what prayer is. Um, if you're a philosopher, it's mandated you, you fantasize. You have to conceive God in some way or another. Uh, that enables you to, to talk, to pour out your heart. That talking, that begging, that pouring out the heart, that's the essence of a that's called Avodas Hashem. Avodas Hashem. This emotional stuff I just talked about. Because God doesn't need you to carry his bags. So Avodas Hashem doesn't mean that. God doesn't need you to mow the lawn. Mow his lawn. Avodas Hashem doesn't mean that. Avodas Utfila means that it's you have to work on getting the emotion out the, 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 from your inner depths. It ain't easy, right? Most people Honestly, honestly, cutting away all the baloney, most people I imagine just daven once or twice a year, really daven, you know, Roshanim Kibber, something like that, whatever. That's what I imagine, you know. Uh, that is an avoda. That's why that's why we don't do it too often, <laughs> right? Guy goes to show for Michamarov tonight. He goes, hi, you know, I'll do what I need to do, but avoda, you know, to, 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 to you know to throw myself into this and come out sweating like Rabbi Kibber or something like that. Yeah, not not so pushing, unless they're an atheist in a foxhole, unless there's somebody sick, or they have some misfortune, or some other reason, or shadukim, or a hundred other reasons, you know, then they'll sweat, then they'll throw themselves into it. And believe you me, somebody's having trouble in any of these areas, parnasa, shadukim, this, that, and the other children, they ain't interested in the Mordebuchim. <laughs> I'll tell you right now, they ain't interested in the Mordebuchim. Nor should you require them to be. Now, uh, 
a person who's an unreconstructed Amarnavuchim person will simply say, well, they're just uh, inferior human beings. No, they're not. They're not. You see? They're not. Um, these points, as you know, were valorized by the Baal Shemta when he came along. That's why the Hasidists took off. Um, this is the points of the prayers. Now, he has more technical things about, uh, what do you call it, meditation or whatever, on the osios. But the heart of it is what I just said. And it, it cannot be that the only person among the Jewish people who understands how to daven is somebody who took a graduate course in Kreskis and Maimonides. That's not how God gave the Torah. Uh, obviously, that's a higher madrake. I, I, I do understand that. But it's also true that the shoemaker and the other person out there, if they're talking regular, you know, if they if they have sincere prayers, uh, he says, if you oppress the widow and orphan, they'll cry, I guarantee you the widow and the orphan that the Torah is talking about are not highly educated people. Not in those days. Right? A widow's a widow and an orphan's an orphan. But if they're being hurt and they cry out, that's what are they crying to? They're not crying to, a, as they say, in a PhD dissertation. What are they crying to? So uh, I think you see where I'm going with all this. So I repeat, I'll conclude with this. I don't know if I've done justice to it, but I gave it a shot. And I do um, very much respect the uh, the honesty and you know the thoughtfulness that goes in these kind of queries. And, you know, I do understand the idea of humanizing and idolatry and all the rest of it. I'm simply saying that at the end of the day, prayer by definition, and mitzvahs really by definition, transcend the philosophical. Okay? Uh, the philosophical is, is a very good and essential part because there's a lot of people out there who don't have the philosophical perspective, and then they're easy prey for every shyster that comes down the road um, of all sorts. And the from world is full of shysters. You know, I vague. On the other hand, uh, as somebody once said, I heard about, maybe it was Heshing Weiner or somebody, he said, his grandfather told him, don't think that you have the whole MS. Yeah, maybe a piece of the MS. There's more than, than, than what you, what you, you know, just what you heard. Or just what you heard in your school, in your camp, in your chalik, in your party, uh, in your group, or anything like that. Anyway, uh, that's a few thoughts on the subject. And with that, I bid you all a uh, good job. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidovidkatz.com.